0: Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Do you eat because you are really hungry or because your brain tells you to? Joining us next is returning guest Dr. Will Cole, author of the New York Times best-selling book, Intuitive Fasting. He's going to share how we can tune into our body's natural hunger signals instead of just eating on autopilot like we've done since childhood. Dr. Cole has created a four-week flexible fasting plan that will remove your need to obey external expectations about food. If you want to reset your body, recharge your metabolism, and rebalance your hormones, stay tuned. Dr. Will Cole is in the house, and it all starts now.
1: It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it.
0: Ten years ago, our next guest started the first functional medicine telehealth center in the world. He's gone on to become a sought-after functional medicine expert consulting with people around the globe. He's been named as one of the top 50 functional and integrative doctors in the nation and has helped thousands by clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic disease. He's helped people suffering from thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions, hormonal imbalances, digestive disorders, and more. He's the host of the popular The Art of Being Well podcast and was the the co-host of Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle brand Goop's spinoff podcast, The Goop Fellows Podcast. He's the best-selling author of Ketotarian and the Inflammation Spectrum. His latest book is the New York Times bestseller, Intuitive Fasting. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Will Cole.
1: Hello, my friend. It's great to talk with you. And I need you as my hype man every morning just to feel a little bit better about myself. Thank you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Touche. say with me. That's great. Great to have you back. You know, last time you were on the show, we discussed keto diets and how they differ from the healthier ketotarian version. So let's start off by doing the same thing. What's the difference between intermittent fasting compared to intuitive fasting?
1: Well, intuitive fasting, just like with ketotarian and just like with the inflammation spectrum, all my books are just a ripple effect of my clinical experience because I'm 10, 11 hours a day for the past 12 plus years has been consulting people around the world via and looking at functional medicine, looking at labs and applying functional medicine to their life. So intuitive fasting is as a title of the book, it's, it's first of all, play on words, because the prefix INT and intermittent intuitive. But it's this concept that I've always been teaching my patients for the past decade plus is, is that more isn't always better with pretty much anything in, in wellness and in life itself. It's about striking a balance. And it's really a conversation in the book. I'm having a conversation about one of the major aspects of functional medicine is bioindividuality, And what works for one person, even if it's a healthy tool, what works for one person may not necessarily be the best way to do it for the next person. So it's the art and science of wellness. And I want to apply the amazing science of intermittent fasting, which is so exciting, the amazing health benefits we can apply in somebody's life. But the art of it is the space in between. It's how do we apply this in their life that works sustainably, that's enjoyable, where we really can leverage these amazing health benefits of intermittent fasting. So that's what intuitive fasting is. It's using fasting as a medicine, but also using fasting as a meditation and teaching people how to find that art.
0: Great. I know when I was in college, as probably you were we, were, we were taught the best way to lose weight was to eat several small meals throughout the day. And in your book, you share how this theory has really been debunked. Share why this is so important when it comes to our health and weight loss.
1: Well, it's... Uh, you could go back through the through American history specifically and looking at the food industry and how foods and the way that we eat and what we eat is really uh, marketed to us to for the food industry to make lots and lots of money over time, specifically over the 20th century, but obviously still uh, in, in many other forms. But anyways, but th- we grow up thinking, OK, we need to have six small meals a day and we need to have these eat these specific foods and breakfast is the most important meal. I mean, we don't really look at where that advice came from. And I'm just really awakening people, hopefully through when they read the book, they can start to see, oh, well, like, let's take our health to the next level and not be bound by that next meal, not be having, uh, be enslaved by insatiable cravings and hangriness. And many people are in different, very, you know, very Various forms of this because their body is struggling with metabolic inflexibility or metabolic rigidity, which is sort of this blood sugar roller coaster where they are really food addicted in many ways, and they have insatiable cravings and hangriness and moodiness if they miss a meal. So through fasting, it's a way to gain metabolic flexibility. So you eat when you're hungry, but you can go longer without eating because your body's more metabolically flexible. And that's our birthright. Humans would have done that for thousands and thousands of years, but we've lost that metabolic flexibility because of this mismatch between how we live our life and our genetics. So our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years, but our world has changed and the way that we do life has changed so much. So this chasm between genetics and epigenetics or our DNA and the world around us is so great, And fasting is a way to primarily kind of tap into that metabolic flexibility.
0: Yeah, that's great. I know I've had some experts on the show say 12 hours of fasting is ideal. Others say we should go, what, window 16 to 18 hours. And now there's that popular one meal a day going 23 hours between eating. In your opinion, how long do we need to keep food out of our system to reap the health benefits of fasting?
1: That's a brilliant question. And that's part of the art and science that I'm talking about in intuitive fasting. It's checking in with your body using fasting as a medicine and a meditation so we're do what I call metaphysical meals in the book where you're just mindfulness practices of really checking in with your body getting rootedness in your body as you are fasting so you can see which ones work best for you and we're all different and that's another you know that major aspect of functional medicine that I talked about earlier but Actually, over the four weeks in intuitive fasting, each week you're exploring and experimenting with different types of fast. So think of it as sort of this ebbing and flowing, expanding, contracting, eating and fasting windows. So in week one, it's exactly what you said with the 12-12. It's a good primer of setting your body up for... Not eating too late at night, so you're fasting through the night until you break the fast at breakfast the next morning. That's the body reset fast. It's so kind of kind uh, of leaning the body in gently to this metabolic flexibility that we're going to be building over the course of the four weeks. Week two is the metabolic recharge fast. So it's the 16, eight to 18 six. So it's a 16, at least a 16-hour fasting window to about an eight, around an eight-hour eating window. We're working on cardiometabolic health, lowering inflammation levels, supporting gut health. And then we, in week three, it's the cellular recharge fast. So that's the almost OMAD fast. OMAD is, what you mentioned, the one meal a day. So it's I call it almost OMAD because it's a little bit more flexible than that. I don't want people to try to get all their calories in in a one-hour period, which the more strict OMAD is going to be a 23 to 1 fasting to eating window. but I found with my patients that a little bit more flexibility especially people have gut health problems or aren't the best digesters need a little bit more like a 2 to 4 hour eating window because you're not cutting calories in you're just getting your calories in in a specific eating window and fasting the other windows. So in week 3 we're working on autophagy which is the cellular recycling we're working on supporting stem cells and a lot of the longevity benefits of fasting and we're doing that OMAD fast every other day. So it's, you have an OMAD day and then a refeeding day, an OMAD day, a refeeding day at week three. And then week four, we're opening it back up to 12-12. We are expanding and contracting. So you're not always doing the OMAD, you're not always doing the lighter fast either. So I find, and the analogy that I use in the book is this sort of proverbial yoga for your metabolism. And yoga, you stretch and, and you contract and you are doing these mo- motions. And that's how I see intermittent fasting, especially done in this mindful way, for your metabolism. It's a way to become more metabolically flexible, just like yoga. You improve musculoskeletal uh, flexibility. So
0: if they go back down to the 12, do they need another four-week reboot? Do they need, to, Or is it they stay where they feel comfortable?
1: Exactly, yeah. I, I encourage the reader of the book to... Maybe do two or three cycles of these four weeks and really check in with your body. But after two or three, I really find that people will start to know, okay, I felt better here. When I did this fast, I didn't feel as good as when I did this one. And they will be able to evolve the protocol intuitively for themselves, their own bio-individual art of fasting.
0: See, I love that because, you know, most intermittent fasting and the keto diet experts that I have on the show recommend skipping breakfast, having a nice size lunch and dinner, and and maybe that's good for some, but man, I'm physical in the morning and and I fuel my body. I need that. So I eat breakfast at 8 a.m. and my last meal is a small dinner at 6. So I've got a 14-hour fasting window. Is that enough downtime for me to reap the health benefits or do I really have to skip that morning? Can't I skip the later meal?
1: Absolutely. And that's, that's also the grace that I give the reader too. If you love breakfast, some people just love the ritual of breakfast. Or like you're saying, you, you're you working out more in the morning. Everybody has their own schedule and preferences. So absolutely. And, and if anything, I could see the benefit of that, of ending eating earlier in the evening has amazing benefits. So if that works for you, then keep doing it. And I think that the other thing to think about is like when people say, well, what's the right type of fasting? It's the right type of fasting is the one that works for you and you can be consistent with and that you enjoy and you see improve your quality of life and your health benefits. So that's really what this is about, is exploring the different tools within the world of fasting.
0: That's great. I've been reading a lot about set point, that place where you know people's weight always returns when they step on the scale. Would intuitive fasting help break that cycle, maybe bring someone's set point to a lower place on the scale?
1: Yeah, that's part of metabolic flexibility. So as their metabolism becomes more flexible, they're more fat adapted or fat burning, and their metabolism is able to get to a healthy place. So as inflammation starts coming down and blood sugar starts normalizing and insulin starts coming down and leptin starts coming down, that those are the hallmark infrastructural things that we need to happening on on a, on a health side of things for someone to have a healthy metabolic set point for their body. And we're at the end of the day, we're all going to be different even at the, even at the end of it, we're going to all have different set points and that's okay. That's okay. So we're not trying to compare ourselves to someone else and be, like, oh, my, I, that my friend saw this and I'm going to see that. Well, no, that's not really how the human body works. There's a lot of variables to consider. But we're going to elevate how you feel. We're going to take your health to the next level for you. And that's really the beauty of all of this.
0: Yeah, and I love that you don't really focus a lot on chronic caloric restriction and eating less food. Overall, you're, you're not a really big believer in the calories in calories out theory. Share why that's something you don't embrace.
1: It's just an incomplete perspective. It, it is like uh, uh, those aspects of truth. To it. Obviously, calories matter. They're just not everything. So the idea that we're going to understand human physiology and weight loss or whatever our goal is and completely reduce it to just calories in, calories out is 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 just incomplete. So we have to understand how are those calories influencing human biochemistry? How are they influencing blood sugar? How are they influencing the gut microbiome, which influences the brain and hormones and our metabolism. It, the foods we eat are the raw materials that influence human bio, biochemistry. And 500 calories of you know, vegetables and fruit is going to completely interplay with our human physiology, completely different than 500 calories of candy and soda. So it's, it's not as simple as saying calories in, calories out. And our body, I say it in the book, our body is more of a biochemistry lab and less of a calculator. And we have to realize that the food we eat influences our genetic expression and influences how our body functions
0: yeah i love that you say that plus you know being a mathematician makes eating not fun right it's like becomes oh, like, my especially me I'm, I'm a word guy i hate numbers i'm not gonna sit there and do math yuck who wants to eat
1: <laughs> i know it it's so it's arduous and takes all the sucks all the life out of wellness which there should be a grace and a lightness to it and if you completely are just bound by these calorie counting it's no fun for most people oh yeah
0: i saw someone at the grocery store literally she's got her calculator out and she's she's looking in the back of the boxes i says up. Oh. She's being a CPA eater.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. Yeah, what's her tax? That's really what it is.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's very taxing on the body, that's what she should say. (laughs) Let me ask you with so much conflicting info. You know, you you probably hear it too on your podcast that you know the doctors agree with this, don't agree with that. But one thing they all agree on is inflammation is the primary cause of disease. Seems to be the consensus. Share with us how does fasting help bring down inflammation?
1: So you're absolutely right, and it's as it's, um, I talk about inflammation at length in the book because it's just a major part of my patients' lives when I'm consulting them online. It's a commonality between autoimmune conditions, metabolic issues, type two diabetes, weight loss resistance, to even things like anxiety and depression and fatigue. All have links in the scientific literature to inflammation, chronic inflammation. Inflammation is not inherently bad. It's a product of our immune system, but we don't want the hyperinflammatory state or the chronic inflammatory state. So fasting is a great tool to attenuate and calm these pro-inflammatory pathways. It does it through a few different ways. One of it is when the more you fast, the more metabolically flexible you are, you're going to be producing some ketones and ketones is we've talked about this in our conversation when I, we talked about Ketotarian in my first book, it's it's a, it's an epigenetic modulator, meaning it does really cool things for our health, and one of which it helps to lower things like the NLRP3 inflammasome, and that it, it increases something called the NRF2 and the AMPK pathways. Basically, it's summarized best by Paracelsus. Paracelsus was one of the fathers of modern medicine. He was known as the Martin Luther of medicine. He was reforming medicine at his time in the late 1400s, early 1500s. He calls fasting the physician within, which I think is a really beautiful way of thinking about it. It's this inner doctor that we all can tap into and allow our body to calm itself down, find homeostasis because you're decreasing that chasm, that mismatch between genetics and epigenetics, really, so your body wants to heal itself. Your body wants to, for you to survive. So that's we're just giving our body the chance to do so in a fasted state. It's, it's that inner physician. So it, And it does a lot of other things, too. It's modulating the gut microbiome. It's balancing blood sugar. It's doing a lot of far-reaching tools that science is just beginning to scratch the, the different ways that fasting is improving human health.
0: Yeah. Also, it's just letting the organs kind of rest and reset. It's they're all constantly getting food. They have to. Oh, we got to go to work. We got to go to work. You're letting it kind of just shut down. And like when we sleep at night, it's nice to have the body just kind of just, just kind of chill. You know, rather, here he goes again. He's got another snack. And oh, there comes a cookie. It's wake up, wake up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of you know the cookie and the snacks, that seems to be the big issue people have. They a lot of them don't have a problem following a healthy diet during the day. It's that noshing, especially when they go home from work. What do you recommend?
1: Well, the more metabolically flexible somebody's going to be, and that's what they're building over these four-week cycles as they do the fasting and eating windows, and they're expanding and contracting those fasting and eating windows, they're not going to feel so bound by the snacking. Uh, So there's nothing wrong with snacks if they make you feel good, if they're working for your body, if they are in alignment with with human health and how you want to feel. No shame in that. But it's the need that, like you're saying, the hangriness, the noshing, the c- compulsion towards uh, needing to snack, or you're going to, you know, get moody or irritable or get a crash in energy, uh, or you feel sort of, uh, addicted to it. That's not good. So I think it's just a paradigm shift of saying, okay, I can snack, but I'm not bound to snack. And then we give them lots of snack ideas in the book. I mean, there's a whole recipe section in intuitive fasting if people can Find healthy snacks that works in alignment with the metabolic flexibility. And I guess that's a bigger point that I make in the book, too, is that I'm never going to advocate someone to fast their way out of a poor diet. That food is primary, and food is the fuel for your body. But fasting is another tool there, too. So it's the yin and the yang. The fasting and the feasting are really two amazing tools to support metabolic flexibility. So we use sort of a flexible, whole foods-based, flexible, cyclical ketogenic diet, because the ketogenic diet is fasting mimicking. It's, it's mimicking a lot of the benefits of fasting without actually fasting. So if someone's having super high carbs and processed foods and then trying to fast, that is a recipe for disaster. It's not what I would advocate for you to do at all. But when we really work on foods that support blood sugar balance, that are satiating, that are nutrient dense, then the fast is a lot easier. It's really more effortless.
0: Yeah, and you have good food available in the program. It's not the people. little well, fasting diet. I'm not able to eat anything, and if I do, it's going to be celery. <laughs> that's not the case. Right, right. Yeah, they hear that, right? Don't they immediately go? Oh, I'm going to have to oh, be chewing sure. kale and celery. <laughs> yeah, they
1: think that they eat like a rabbit to be healthy. That's definitely not the case. I mean, there, these are really decadent, delicious, nutrient dense foods that are easy to make, um, and a lot of grab and go ideas within the book too. It's just just when you hear people. Like being a clinician and talking to patients for as long as I have, you know, you've heard every excuse in the book, and you know how to make it as practical and realistic and sustainable as possible. I tried to put that all in the book.
0: That's right. Now you're into gut health. I'm curious, where do you stand on coffee? You know, for a lot of people, that can irritate the gut. Does a morning cup of Joe get the uh, Dr. Cole thumbs up?
1: <laughs> but that that I would have put the bio individual uh, context there as well, because I've see I know con- coffee can work great for some people and some people it's not. So it's bio-individual, even on that level for many different reasons. Like you said, the acidic side of it, like it's harsh in the stomach for some people, uh, that, that's definitely something to consider. If it's causing you any digestive distress, I would find an alternative. And then, but then some people we can also look at Uh, like there's uh, there's, uh, what's called the caffeine gene in the research. It's the CYP1A2, which is the detox gene. Some people are slow metabolizers of caffeine. And it's as much as you may love coffee, it's just not working for your body. Well, there are specific genes that regulate the detox of caffeine. And those people are not going to do well with coffee. So these are the sort of epigenetic, like gut health and genetic things that we take into consideration with patients.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Talk to us about your functional medicine telehealth services. You were doing this way before it was trendy like it is today.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was not, I did not plan on it being a thing. I was just, I was in Pittsburgh and a lot of people weren't in Pittsburgh, fancy that. But I I needed to get people access. So I've been doing telehealth my entire career. We have a clinic, but it's my team's mostly here. But we talk to people all around the world, providing them a functional medicine perspective on their case. So we have a special heart and passion for people struggling with different autoimmune inflammation issues, fatigue, hormone problems, gut problems. And we ship labs to wherever they're at in the world. And we're clinically monitoring them and coaching them and guiding them and building them a protocol that's curated based off of their labs and their health history. And as their health evolves, we can evolve their protocol too. So I love it. It's basically all that I do. I write books like <laughs> seasonally, like here and there. But like my main heart is my my on my patients in the clinic. That's awesome. And you
0: treat so many ailments. What do you consider to be your favorite? Do you see one and go, yeah, this guy's gonna be better? It's like you just know because you've seen so much success.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, this uh, gut health definitely is up there. I have to say, I'm I, looking at the realm of biotoxins and mold toxins or mycotoxins and chronic Lyme, they are not easy cases, but they are when you know where to look, you can give people a lot of answers and a lot of aha moments and a lot of connecting the dots of things that they know in their life. So that's always rewarding for me because people that are trying to figure out why they feel the way that they do and they're struggling, they're doing all the things they're supposed to be doing, but they're still spinning their wheels. And to connect all the dots for them is a really rewarding thing from a clinician side of things and then when you start getting them better obviously it's even even more fruitful but just that initial hey we see you we hear you and we're going to point you in the right direction and get you feeling better it's there's nothing like it so i i love i love that realm
0: yeah, and sometimes it's something just so simple. It's, a, it's an aha moment they don't get. Like I had a patient, chronic sinus, mucus, uh, the ear infections, drank like two glasses of milk before bed. I'm like, well, that c- can create mucus and stuff. Yeah. Stop, milk's good. Meat, body does a body good. But I got, I couldn't convey. So just try. Just three days later, Doc, could breathe fine.
1: <laughs> sometimes wow, it's yeah. something. I oh, know, my goodness. Yeah. That's so yeah, rewarding. It's, I mean, when you just like help them with the little thing. I mean, they're a big thing to them, but sometimes it's not big changes to have big results.
0: Exactly. Uh, so your, are your services open for people living in all states or only in certain, certain areas?
1: Yeah. Yeah. All states, um, all states. And yeah, they can learn more about the telehealth clinic at, at And
0: yeah, we, um, there's tons of information there. That's fantastic. And the minute, minute we have left, anything that you'd like to share that we didn't cover today?
1: No, I I appreciate the opportunity. And I just want to encourage everybody out there. I know there's a lot of people that are trying to do all the things. And, you know, a a principle within our clinic is, and and it's sort of a mantra for our patients, is you can't heal a body you hate. You cannot shame your way into wellness. You can't obsess your way into health. And I think a lot of times, like we can, I can talk about things like fasting or food and all these amazing, you know, cutting edge science things as far as clinical nutrition is concerned, it can sometimes be used in a way that's not conducive to human health because they feel like they can just more is always better and they can just punish their body into health. That's the antithesis of what I'm teaching my patients It's that really there should be an art of being well and that's why I call my podcast The Art of Being Well because I want people to find these amazing tools but what works for them sustainably? And that all of these things should be to elevate your quality of life, not as a form of punishment. So context matters when it comes to these tools, and I want people to find out what their body loves.
0: Well said. Uh, time just flew by so fast, and yes, I'm, I'm using that pun intended there, fast. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for joining. <laughs> <laughs> you can use that one.
1: <laughs> Thanks next for time, joining. I will, I will it. use it next time.
0: Yeah, I want to thank you. You shared some great insightful information. I'm sure uh, some of the listeners took some really good notes. And you got to get this book. It's fantastic. It's called Intuitive Fasting, the Flexible 4-Week Intermittent Fasting Plan to Recharge Your Metabolism and Renew Your Health. You can get your copy at drwillcole.com. And while there, be sure and check out all the great resources that he has available, including articles, podcasts, and healthy products you can use. You can also learn more about the telehealth consultation. Be sure and sign up. Get consultation and, uh, you know, learn what's the root cause and get, get better. Them It's so important. He helps a plethora of ailments, including thyroid, autoimmune conditions, hormonal imbalances, digestive disorders, and more. You can follow him on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dr. Will Cole. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Dr. David Friedman on Instagram. I'm at Dr. D Friedman. If you heard something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to your goodhealthradio.com and radiomd.com. Check out our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. Sharing is caring. Don't keep this stuff to yourself. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.